quote said, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? It's a question John Lewis has been asking his entire life. Welcome back to Why Not Us. I'm your host, Porter Bowman, and we are back and better than ever as we take another trip north to the Green Mountain State. This week, I'll be speaking with Lucy Rogers of Waterville, Vermont. Lucy was elected in 2018 to the Vermont State House as part of the same freshman class of representatives as Patrick Seymour, our guest last week. Lucy has a remarkable background in science. She's a cello player, and she's a lifelong Vermonter. You'll hear all about it and more in our conversation. I hope you all enjoy. So first first question, um, Representative, before we get into your sort of run for office, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about your, um, you know, your experience growing up in Waterville in northern Vermont. Um, is it true that you milked your cow every morning at, at, at four in the morning and sort of what was the experience like and, you know, sort of that deepened your connection to your hometown? Sure. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. So I grew up in Waterville, Vermont, which is a town of about 700 people and um, attended the local elementary school where we had uh, 12 students in my elementary school class and then went to an aggregate high school, which serves a number of towns in our county. Um, it, <laughs> growing, growing up, I think this, this small town environment left a pretty huge impression on me and I've spent most of my adult life committed to serving towns like the one that I grew up in. Uh, I had the opportunity to travel quite a bit and worked for small businesses and farms and agricultural businesses in rural places throughout North America, which I think gave me a sense of some of the common challenges that these small communities uh, face. And, and then after college decided to run for office in my home community um, and have made it a pretty big part of my mission as a representative to be advocating for small communities like the one that I grew up in. Absolutely. So talk about your experience a little bit, just kind of, uh, you know, you were, you were high school valedictorian, you started out at Harvard, then you came back home to, to UVM. So when you were in Burlington, what was the, what were some of the experiences you had that kind of got you reinvested in, in local issues, Vermont issues, and sort of your, your hometown, um, you know, and maybe state politics too, that made you want to eventually run for office when you graduated? Sure, yeah. So my background is actually entirely in science and math. I um, have been interested in biology since a young age, did some work um, in wildlife conservation with grizzly bear and black bear management, and was a biology major and a math and Chinese minor in college. So I was coming very much not from a political background, but I think what did shift me in that direction was, was a, a couple of things. The first was really realizing the extent to which uh, advocacy for rural places is so important in today's world. Um, and I, like I said, my experience with small businesses and farms kind of opened my eyes to that. And then also a class I took during my junior year of college on rural geography at UVM, where we spoke quite a bit in the class about what it means to own your narrative and thinking about rural narratives so frequently being owned by, by people who are not 
a part of rural communities, which then serves to um, one dimensionalize the the rural experience into either this idyllic pastoral life where there's no real problems, um, which is so against what I see in everyday life with housing issues and connectivity issues um, and social issues, or it's one dimensionalized into the axe murderer in the horror movie who um, always lives at, in the middle of the woods at the end of a dirt road leading from a small town and which also you know, is, is damaging to a rural place to be just placed into this very narrow view. So, so that was one influence was just recognizing the importance for rural people to be able to speak about the nuance and complexity of, of rural communities and, and be able to own what we are proud of in our communities and share it with the world, but also um, own that we are struggling with housing, with affordability, um, with healthcare, with all of the same issues that any other complex community is struggling with. And then I think the other, the other influence that, that led me from a completely not political background to be interested in running for office um, was just my experience as a scientist and thinking about how important the work of research is, but how frustrating it can be to watch that um, the people who are doing all of the work to understand you know, years of years of research to understand the complexity of one single issue um, are then oftentimes not able to really be given much influence when it comes to actually making policy decisions about an issue. And so I wanted to make sure that I was on the other side of it, of, of sitting, uh, holding political office as someone who was incredibly committed to using evidence and using research to, to make sure that um, not only are we doing what feels right and is morally right, but also that, that um, the evidence backs up that what we're attempting to do is actually what we are doing. That's such a unique background, such sort of like a, you know, taking that scientific approach to, to policymaking and politics is so, so unique and actually probably needed in a lot of ways that it's much more, um, you know, specific and, um, yeah, that's fantastic. So when, when you, yeah, graduate, think, yeah, no, go ahead. I think in, um, I think in both instances, it really comes down to almost being a translator, being able to speak a couple languages at once. You know, I think being able to speak a political language and speak a scientific or a research language is really important. And just having that translation ability makes a huge difference in being able to, um, to, to work together and, and make, the best possible policy and then i also think with uh some a lot of the rural issues i think oftentimes what's needed really is is just a good translator who can you know speak speak um about rural issues in a way that can be understood by a greater society that isn't necessarily constructed to be tuned into rural issues unfortunately right no and that intentionality and that communication is definitely something that seen and read about, you know, in, in your early work. Lucy 
Lucy and her opponent, Republican Zach Mayo, created a viral moment during their campaign for the State House that was even covered by the CBS Evening News. After a debate in their district, they moved some tables out of the way, Lucy grabbed her cello, Zach grabbed a guitar, and they began to play a duet. You know, as you when you graduated from from UVM in 2018, you know, you started campaigning. Um, you know, what what was that election like? I'm curious, just sort of coming out of college, and you know, you you made you know national news with the you know sort of the civility aspect of you know. I would love if you could talk about that moment of um, you know with your with your opponent and sort of how um, you know how you sort of turned your hometown's you know direction to you to you know people under 30 running for the state house and sort of what was that experience like for you? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I graduated in 2018. I started campaigning pretty much the very day after my graduation. I had senior week, hung out with all of my college friends, um, had my graduation on a Sunday. And then the next day I got up at 8am and put 14 hours into my campaign and just switched gears immediately. Um, and campaigning was probably the most rewarding experience I've ever had. I think a lot of people I talk to in politics feel like the campaign is just the the annoying part that you have to do in order to do the real work of legislating. And I absolutely did not see it that way. Um, I knocked on every door in my district and many of the doors twice. And I I had lived in this community my whole entire life, but to be able to have conversations with actually a large face-to-face -face conversations with a large portion of the people who I now represent um, was amazing. And I drive down the roads in my district now and I can picture the families that live in each home. Um, and it feels like an entirely different experience than having driven those same roads for years and years before. Um, just, just quickly, before what, yeah, what what was the, what was the response like from people? I'm sure people knew you and people knew your family. Like, what what was sort of the reaction of? I'm sure a lot of people were supportive, but I'm sure there were some people who were like, "Really? Like you're you're running? Like you sort of curious what the back and forth was." You mean as a younger candidate? Yeah, or? yeah, or just you you showing up on their front door saying I'm running for the state legislator? Yeah, I think. Um... It shifted throughout the campaign as people got to know me more. Um, and as you mentioned, our our campaign became pretty high profile because of um, issues of or civility and and um, making making national headlines for running a really civil campaign. And and so as people got to know me more, it shifted from you know, who are you again and what are you running for to, oh, you're Lucy. I was, I was wondering when you were going to come by, um, which is really great. But as far as the response, I would say, um, I think, I think people were just so happy that I was reaching out and wanting to hear what people had to say that it really, didn't matter whether they were someone who was ultimately going to vote for me or not. I think people were universally just pretty happy that I was taking the time to come to their home, meet them in their space and, and try to understand what, what their major issues were. 
I also did a follow-up postcard um, to everybody who I spoke with at their door that was personalized to the conversation that we had. And I think people really liked that as well. And I happen to be a big believer that letters can change lives. And I've had a personal experience with that with a, a high school friend who was struggling with some pretty extreme mental health issues. Um, and we all, you know, wrote him letters all throughout, all throughout that process. And and I really think that that had a pretty huge impact. So I was happy to be able to bring, and I've had pen pals with people from around the world my whole life. So I was happy to be able to bring a bit of my letter writing passion into my campaign as well. Oh, that's, that's so remarkable. I love that. I love that. So I'm, as, as you, you know, when you were elected, you, you know, you, you come in as a, you know, in a crop of a handful of pretty young, um, you know, uh, newly elected officials and freshmen um, in 2018, I, I spoke with um, one of your colleagues, um, Patrick Seymour, last uh, in our last episode, and he he quipped that one of the advantages of being young in the state houses, you could get, you know, up and down the stairs a little bit quicker. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm curious about your own experience, kind of what have been the advantages, um, you know. A, being young in the state house and sort of how you've learned the the tricks of the trade, not only the in the political sense as you've talked about, but also in your own way and the scientific and the other approaches, um, you know, and maybe how you've leaned on some of your older colleagues to learn maybe sort of more of the politics of it. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think one of the advantages of being younger is that people are more willing and more conscious of reaching out to mentor you. And I think, I think this is actually a little bit of a problem because I think older people who are newly elected probably need mentorship just as much and are, and people are, can be less in tune to the need to mentor someone um, who may be just as new to politics, but, but doesn't look like someone who they're used to mentoring. So I think I was lucky in that way in that people, were really aware of reaching out to mentor me, um, which I was very am still very grateful for. And and then I think also as I've been able to step up more into roles, um, I'm on the rural the rural caucus and also the social equity caucus and have been able to kind of find my place as far as supporting both of those caucuses and and stepping into um, taking on a little bit more responsibility there. It's been nice too to be able to both be mentored, but also be able to have my own responsibilities that I'm working on. Um, and I think one of the one of the advantages of of young leadership and having young people in politics is just being able to think a little bit more creatively and innovatively about something that maybe it's happened a certain way or in a certain process for decades, but that doesn't mean that that's actually the best way. It's just it's just the way that's our, that's um, developed organically. So I think it's, there's a little bit of a two-way street where it's really wonderful to receive mentorship from people who have been there longer, but I also think I have something to give back as far as bringing a fresh set of eyes and, and making suggestions for how things could be, could be different. Have there also been people in your, in your hometown, in your, in your district who you've leaned on, maybe local officials or maybe just friends and family who've supported you in, um, you know, in, in your first couple of years? Yeah, I've tried really hard. This was one of my um, missions with getting elected is I've tried really hard to uh, make myself a voice for the community and and not my own voice and to 
reach out as much as possible to just let people know, you know, here's an upcoming vote you have until Friday to give me, to give me feedback on it. And, and it's really amazing the amount of um, thoughtful, detailed, helpful expertise that's available within a relatively small district, Vermont. We, I only represent 4,000 people. Um, and so just within a relatively small district, it seems like there's at least a few people with, with pretty deep expertise on any topic that would come up. That's fantastic. Um, I want to pivot now to kind of what you're, you're, what you're doing now uh, in your role. You know, Vermont has done remarkably well, you know, combating, um, you know, COVID-19. You know, it hasn't been fully spared. Actually, your, you know, your predecessor, Bernie Jeskowitz, was, uh, it passed away from COVID in, in April. Um, you know, can you share a little bit about what your work is like, um, you know, now that you're home more in your, in your district and, you know, what is your role looking like in handling the state's response, especially that you're part of the, the House Healthcare Committee? Sorry, can you, I had, I or you had a little internet lapse. Can you just repeat the, the second half of that? That's question? okay. That's the fun of doing a podcast and I have been uh, working in hard a pandemic. On um, That's okay. In Vermont, it's been one of my biggest areas of work. So <laughs> hopefully we're making some progress. That's great. Well, I'll, I'll repeat. So I'm just saying that, or wondering, you know, what your work is like now um, that you're back home in your district and working a little bit more. Um, at home and working on uh, the state's response to the pandemic and also what your work has been like working with the House Healthcare Committee and sort of how um, you've been able to respond um, in your own way. Okay, yeah, yeah, and I did, I also heard you mention the death of Bernie Jeskowitz, who was the former representative from our community. Yep. And um, one of the, he was, uh, got COVID in the very, very beginning of COVID spreading throughout Vermont. And it was just an absolutely tragic death for ev pretty much everyone in our community and for the legislative um, community as well. Um, yeah, as a, as a member of the House Healthcare Committee, it's definitely been um, a, a lot of work. And from the very beginning, from before when other committees were, were as focused on COVID, um, we've been going along all throughout the pandemic, just figuring out what our most important role is, given that in a state of emergency, a lot of the day-to-day -day decisions that might otherwise be legislative decisions fall to the administration, um, which is how it should be, as they can respond more quickly to changing conditions and the legislative process is a relatively more slow process. So that puts us in a little bit more of an oversight role where it's our job to keep track of what the administration is doing and understand why and what they're doing and be ready to intervene if something seems out of line with what um, the legislature thinks is appropriate, but, but less of a directional role, whereas normally we're more directing the administration's work. Um, so that's been one element of, of our work and then, I think we've been able to really highlight and informally take the lead on a number of issues, um, even if we're not directing the administration through, through passing laws, we've been able to bring attention to issues such as um, race reporting for COVID cases and COVID deaths, which from the very, very beginning of the pandemic, my committee was, um, was super on top of making sure that Vermont was doing this. And, and now we've seen 
as we've seen national trends showing disparities um, in, in COVID-19 cases and deaths amongst different races, it's been really important that we've been collecting that data from the very beginning. So that's one example. Um, and then the other piece that the legislature has been working on that's COVID related has been, has been funding and specifically appropriating the coronavirus relief funds from the federal government as part of the CARES Act. Um, Vermont had $1.2 billion come in and, and it was the legislature's job to appropriate that and a large portion of it did go to stabilizing the healthcare system. So my committee played a role in that as well. That's wonderful. And we obviously need people like that to focus on these issues. And, um, you know, we re people are turning more to government now. So it's you know, interesting to see, you know, all these young people in government are, you know, responding to, to this in such a crazy time. I'm curious, you know, in addition to all that work, you know, what have been your, what have been some of your proudest accomplishments, um, you know, in office and, and what are some of the priorities you hope to focus on going forward? Sure. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of work on broadband internet that I mentioned earlier. And I would say that's, that's, that's a piece of the work I've done that I am most proud of because it's something that I think I went in aware that it was an issue in our community. And as time has gone on, I've gotten both more invested in some of the nitty gritty policy pieces and also just more aware of truly how big of a deal it is. Um, there's a bit of a perception, I think, less so now with COVID, but at least prior to COVID, a bit of a perception of internet being this luxury and, you know, why do we care if everyone has TV? Why do we care if everyone has internet or something like that, which is absolutely not a fair way to look at it. Um, recognizing how much of an economic divide there is in the 21st century between areas that have internet access and don't have internet access and also beyond being just an economic divide, it's really a divide of, of livability and of, I like to think of myself as kind of one of a first, the, the first generation of rural pioneers who are, who are young people kind of imagining an entirely new way of living and being rural. And a huge part of that is the fact that for our generation, for the first time, we aren't having to make a decision of, whether to live rurally and have that small town community um, life experience and connection to the land or whether to live somewhere more urban where we're more connected to the um, everyday modern issues, global issues. And it's, it's really exciting to be, to be a part of the first generation that's kind of charting a path of living rurally and also being relevant in a, in a global conversation on a second to second basis. Um, so that's that's one piece we've we've um, I don't know how much nitty gritty policy you want, but we've no, been great. we've been working on funding for broadband build out, but we also are working on something pretty innovative in Vermont, which is um, creating a path forward for communication union districts, which are both municipal and corporate entities. So there are a group of towns that comes together to form this district to function essentially the way a fire municipality or a sewer municipality would, but for uh, connectivity. And, and the idea is really to place some of the decisions about broadband build out into local hands, um, including, including being able to have this local district commit to serving every single home, which the federal government has 
not required for internet companies to have universal service and has also prevented states from requiring it even if they would like to. So it's a way to give a little bit more local control to broadband build out um, and also going forward in the future have more ability to ensure that it's affordable um, and also potentially ability to ensure net neutrality and deal with some of the other issues of data um, that are only going to grow in the coming years. So that's that's one thing. Um, feel free to edit out all of my ramblings. <laughs> and another piece that I've been working on, um, well, I've, I've been involved in the two caucuses, the Rural Economic Development Caucus and the Social Equity Caucus, um, and was a founding member of the Social Equity Caucus last summer. And broadband work was, was uh, quite important in the Rural Economic Development Caucus. And I just lost my train of thought of everything else I was going to say about that. <laughs> but, that, that, yeah. that. That's totally okay. And I, do you find that it's now that that issue is being taken on by more and more people? I mean, I'm sure, you know, I mean, everyone's using the internet now, but do you find that as a young person, you find you're more invested in it or you find that more that older people are also and older representatives and also older members of your district are definitely seeing that as a priority. Yeah, I think um, it definitely is something that people are becoming more aware of or just hearing us more when the group of us has all along been saying, this is a necessity, not a luxury for 21st century life are now being heard. Um, I did retrain, re regain my train of thought. So I think on the non-policy side, something I'm really proud of is the way that I've interacted with my constituents and as a, as a younger person and as a newcomer to politics, I think I pretty clearly understand how difficult it is to feel comfortable reaching out to someone in politics when you don't have prior connections. And so I've made it a huge goal of mine to be as accessible as I possibly can be and to have people email and call me, sometimes text me um, with thoughts and questions and just sharing what they're experiencing that they think I should be aware of. Um, and trying to make sure that I'm reaching out. I think oftentimes legislators will hold, you know, monthly coffee meetups or something, which is really intimidating to someone who isn't already fluent in political language. There's a certain demog I, I do that as well. And I think it's important that people know they have a space to come meet with me, but there's definitely a certain demographic of people who will come out to a meet up with coffee with your with your representative and it's not the entire community and so just trying to make sure that i'm using every method possible to to have people feel comfortable reaching out and also recognizing that someone's interaction with me might be their only interaction ever with with someone in politics so it really matters because i'm i'm kind of <laughs> representing a lot more of a system than than just myself I, I love that that's a priority of yours. I think that's so crucial for all elected officials. I, have you been more uh, prepared or I guess skilled at connecting with your constituents now during, you know, remotely, I guess, than maybe some of your older colleagues or, or have you found some ways to continue to um, hear from people, you know, over the phone and email, I'm sure still works, but um, what have been some of the tools you've used to, to keep that going? Yeah, um, it's been definitely challenging. And I think not just, it's a two-way street, so not just from my side, but also from my constituents' sides. 
Um, I have in my district a large number of constituents who don't have internet access or who have it, could have internet access but don't have a computer and and just wanting to make sure that people aren't feeling completely excluded from everything that's happening. I've spent hours on the phone with constituents who are trying to apply for unemployment or some government um, support of some kind and the only way they can apply is online but they can't apply online so I've spent hours on the phone with them trying to help them navigate you know how to access this resource that's available that should be available to them if they can only let the state government know that <laughs> that they are are qualified to receive it so I think that's something that that there definitely needs to be more awareness of um, but we also in Vermont we have something called front porch forum which is a neighborhood forum where people post every day anything from I you know I lost my cat let me know if you saw it to um, I have a bunch of lumber I'm trying to sell <laughs> um, to important updates about uh, town meetings that are happening or in this case it's been a really valuable research resource for getting information out to the community about about the COVID situation which is changing so so quickly that that it's a good way to keep people up to date so I'm curious as you, you know, you, you ran as a Democrat, but you know, in Vermont, Vermont's often known as a relatively, you know, bipartisan state and people, you know, work together a lot, um, you know, in, in the legislature just, and in just sort of everyday life. Um, you know, what has that experience been in sort of maybe, you know, who are some of your, um, you know, political heroes per se? I mean, uh, you know, the name of the podcast comes from a quote from, you know, the late John Lewis, um, you know, if not us, then who, if not now, then when, um, and I'm curious sort of how maybe the sort of bigger sense of politics has found its way locally, or maybe it hasn't, maybe you've just sort of focused on just serving your district. Yeah, I think, um, that's a good question. I definitely have appreciated how being in my district specifically and being in local politics makes it possible to be a lot less partisan, which has been very important to me. Um, we have three parties in Vermont, the Republican, uh, Democratic and Progressive Party, and then we also have a number of independent representatives. And I voted with all of, all of those groups um, at various times. And so I think there is a really special way in which local politics can can transcend party politics. I also come from a district that um, hadn't elected a Democratic state representative in the traceable past prior to me, and I think has a pretty strong history of voting very independently for the person who they they want to vote for, um, which I, which gives me a bit more flexibility to represent in that way because that's that's the district that I'm whose voice I'm carrying into Montpelier. Um, so I think, I think for the most part, I've seen my role as a local representative as one of, of trying to get away from a lot of the, the national partisan politics and, and trying to really make people realize that on a local level, I'm here to be accessible, to um, seek you know, input and feedback from whoever wants to share it with me. And, 
and to give people hope that they have at least one person in government who's who's listening to them and and wants to advocate for them um i would say that that it's 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 interesting that's definitely the absolute um principle that i'm working from and then it's interesting to figure out on a day-to-day -day level how that how that works out because so many national issues that are divisive and our current issues um, absolutely trickle down to our small Vermont community and affect us every day in our daily lives. So it's, it's, that's the principle that I'm working from. And then on a day-to-day -day basis, there's definitely many, many decisions to be made about, so is this an issue now that is a national issue, but that it's important for me to take a stance on because it is a local issue as well. And to use my position to advocate to our delegates in DC, um, about what my community needs. And so it's, it gets a little bit messier <laughs> when, when you're actually making day-to-day -day decisions. Uh, that's, a, that's a great perspective. Um, I love that. I, I, a few more as just as we wrap up here. I, I ask everyone this who comes on the show, but I'm curious on your view about, um, about term limits. So Vermont doesn't, you know, the state legislature doesn't have term limits. I'm always curious about young people who run for office, you know, how they feel about, um, term limits and how they feel about, you know, uh, people who have been in office for a long time versus people who, like you, who, you know, who, who come in and bring new ideas and um, just curious where you fall on that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Porter. Um, I think it, I have a couple of thoughts on it. One is that I really appreciate the mix of newer and older um, legislators. And I think in general, having representation from as many different voices as possible is really important and one component of, because I think when you have a group of people sharing different backgrounds and different opinions coming together to to find the best path forward you're always in a stronger position than having just a couple different perspectives so in that sense I really appreciate having a committee that's balanced between newer and older legislators having an entire body that's balanced in that way um, and being able to have people who can speak to new ideas, people who can speak to some of the institutional knowledge. Um, so I really appreciated that side of it. I think the other side of it is that our, our polit entire political system works far too much on um, longevity and, and putting power in the hands of people who have been there longer as opposed to people who are the most skilled and equipped to lead. So I think that's where term limits comes in as an important discussion is are we comfortable having a small group of people who have been here the longest holding so much power in the in the direction of the future of the state um and, and i think i i'm not i don't have a strong opinion one way or another but i would lean towards the impression of, of thinking that maybe at some point it is appropriate to say there should be a term limit and and we should make sure that we're continually periodically getting new voices in, um, even if it's a relatively long-term limit, I think it should be there. That's a great answer, great answer. Um, last question, I'm, you know, you, you're, uh, have announced you're running for re-election, um, you know, I'm curious sort of what's next for you, you know, do you, how long do you foresee yourself serving? And I'm sure you don't, don't know what the, what your future holds, but um, just curious how, you know, you see yourself 
serving the community and just, you know, what, what, what you want to do with your, with your life in public service or otherwise going forward? Um, that's also a good question. Yeah. Thanks. I, well, I am running for a second term and I think both with the pandemic and feeling like I've been working on a lot of, um, a, a lot of projects to serve our community during the pandemic and want to continue with them into a second term. And I also am, am excited about some of the other policy work I'm doing. Um, so with, with that, it definitely makes sense to be running for a second term. And I'm not sure I have a, a longer term uh, plan or commitment as to how long I would like to be in politics. Um, but one piece that that does bring up for me is, is thinking about the difficulty of being a younger representative and trying to build a career and work, work a second job outside the legislature um, for some of us, continue education while serving um, our state, our Vermont state constitution states pretty clearly that the idea is, is not for, for serving to replace having a job, but in many cases that is the case for people is that um, it's weird enough hours and low enough pay and uh, a odd enough job to try to juggle along with having a family or having um, a career on top of it that, that many times it ends up being people who either are wealthy enough that they don't need to work a second job or retired. Um, which are great voices to have, but it can it can disproportionately represent represent people in those positions. So, I think I think that's that's something that will um, come into play in my own life. But it's it's also it's it's not really about me. It's about a bigger picture of who do we want representing us and how are we structuring are we structuring our government in a way that that works um, for that representation. And and I would come down on the side of it would it's really important to have voices of working people in government. Well, I know that your district appreciates your service and, and people who, who represent them and represent them um, so honestly. So I really, really appreciate your time, um, Representative Rogers, and it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and getting to talk with you. Um, and thanks for sharing your story and for your service to the, to the state of Vermont. It's, uh, it's incredible to hear your story and um, we all really appreciate it. You too, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you to Representative Lucy Rogers for sharing her story with us. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. We have some fantastic conversations on the horizon, so be sure to stay tuned. Until next time, stay safe and stay young.